Praise the Lord, everybody. Praise the Lord. We're excited to be on the Lord's side. Truly, he's an awesome God. He's worthy to be praised. And we just thank him for all the things that he has done. Um, he's great and, and greatly to be praised. Um, welcome to uh, Let's Get Growing, man. Um, today, we're on day three. Praise God. And we're we're on a quest for authentic manhood. Amen. Praise God. And so we believe in God to do some extraordinary, extraordinary things in our lives and, and put us on that course where we can grow in his grace and the knowledge of his son, Jesus Christ. And so I'm talking about, um, excited about all that he's doing in my life. I don't know about you, but God has been good to me. And um, I'm, I'm looking for the better, you know, um, the best is yet to come. And so we're, we're going to go ahead and kick it off this morning with our third day of the video. And we going to give God the praise and the glory and the honor. Uh, listen closely, guys. And um, if you haven't got the book yet, you want to get the book, um, the 33 series, you can go to Authentic Manhood. I believe it's dot com to to get that. And um, it, it should share some more information about that. So um, let me go ahead and get this started. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. Glory to God. Let's go. Hallelujah. Let me make sure that you can see the volume. Let's stop that. Hold on. Want to make sure we get the volume in. Hold on. Bear with me. Oh, no, don't want to do that. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. I'm getting better, y'all. Believe it or not. Hallelujah. There we go. Want to share the audio. Guys, I tell you, every time I get to go to Genesis 1 and 2 and take guys there and look at God's original design for man, uh, God's blueprint, it just, it's inspiring to me uh, to know that God had a design for man, that manhood, masculinity is God's idea, and that we're created in his image. That's just a powerful thought to think about. Yeah, and God's busy creating and cultivating, and since we're created in his image, well... There you go. He designed us to create and cultivate. And it really fulfills, it, it, it aligns with so much of the satisfaction we get in life as men anyway. We always wonder, why are we such doers? Why are we so action-oriented and builders? And part of that is just God is wired in our DNA as men to be about this whole issue of creating and cultivating. It's part of who we are. Yeah, and for that to be his original design and for us to be in his image and for him to, you know, model that in the first chapter, then mandate it in the second chapter, I think is just so helpful for me as a man to know, boy, that's I've got some tracks to run on. It, it gives them some clarity. I mean, you're, you're beginning to get some traction now. You're, you're beginning to understand that the issues and the struggles, some of that is is built in. Some of that is wired. And now to begin to move more toward uh, the, the Jesus man, the, the, the man of Jesus Christ, the relationship and that model, you, you begin to see the shift that Jesus now comes 
to take us back to how we're originally designed. Yeah, yeah, away from Adam. Right. And to, to follow Jesus. Right. But, you know, one of the, the big points of, of your session was we can't do this ourselves. We can't fix ourselves. And so, we, you know, the last thing we need is to give guys a list of rules right. and regulations. You know, religion is not what we need. I mean, religion is empty and hollow. We need to be connected to our Creator right. through a relationship with Christ. Yeah, and I've, I talk about that in terms of just of gospel masculinity, that the gospel changes everything, including our masculinity and what it means to be a man and to, to know Christ and be in relationship with Him just redefines every piece of who we are as a man. Right, right, right. It's the missing link. It isn't that if a man tries to do it on his own, he'll never find it. But it's in Christ that he begins to experience and find the fulfillment and direction he needs. To move toward that. And that's really what this next session is really about as well, is that it's really about beginning to unpack what that definition is. Isn't that exactly like. where you go to yeah, build our definition? Yeah, we want to take the big mandate, create and cultivate, and now we want to break it down and, and really flesh it out. What does that mean? What does that definition of authentic manhood really look like? It's going to be great. Yeah, that's exciting. In the last session, we looked at God's original design for mankind. From the original blueprints in Genesis, we learned that God designed men to follow His example and to lead, specifically by creating and cultivating. You see, we're created in His image. From the very beginning, God intended for us to be like Him, to create and to cultivate. But most importantly, we learned in the last session that the type of manhood that God created us to live cannot be done with our own self-effort. We can't fix ourselves. Only a real, vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ can provide us with the fuel we need to live out authentic manhood. That's why we encouraged you after the last session to watch the online video that was designed to help you understand fully how Jesus Christ can become not only your Savior, but also your source of strength for living the life we were designed to live. But there's something else that we need to see from those original blueprints. In Genesis, God has clearly given men a mandate to lead in three specific areas. God gave him three specific leadership responsibilities as he creates and cultivates. First of all, God gave man a will to obey. Adam was not just tossed in the garden and left to figure out what was right and wrong on his own. In the early chapters of Genesis, God dictates what is right and wrong to man. He said to Adam and Eve, enjoy this garden, but from that tree, don't eat. So God has spoken. There was a will greater than his own for Adam to obey. You know, it's the same with us today. We're, we're not left to figure out what is right and wrong based on what makes sense to us or what our gut tells us or what our culture accepts. God has spoken. There is a will that is greater than our own for us to obey. We also see that God gave man a work to do. He's naming the animals. He's working the ground. He's busy subduing the earth and using the gifts that God had, had given him. Work was not and is not a curse. It allows man to follow God's example, to create and cultivate. Here's the third leadership responsibility. God gave man a woman to love. In Genesis 2.18, God said, it's not good that the man should be alone. So he created Eve, a companion with whom Adam could have deep intimacy and fellowship as they follow God together. 
Now, today, we want to look at how Jesus lived the mandate to create and cultivate and how He led in those three specific areas of responsibility. We want to build a definition of manhood from the 33 years that He lived here on earth. A definition that you can apply to every area of your life and through every season of your life. This definition of manhood will serve as a compass to guide you on your journey. And when we've completed this session, hopefully you will never hesitate again when somebody asks you the question, what does it mean to be a man? If your son or someone you're mentoring or your daughter starts asking that question, you'll be able to offer them a concise and compelling vision of biblical masculinity. Last session, we looked at Genesis, but you can't get a complete picture of biblical manhood by looking at Genesis alone. We also need to look at the life of our model, Jesus. So today, we're going to compare and contrast the two primary captains of humanity. Adam from Genesis, and Jesus from the New Testament. There's an interesting description of Jesus that really doesn't make sense unless you compare and contrast him with Adam. It's found in the New Testament. Uh, Jesus is basically called the second Adam. Uh, The Apostle Paul put it this way in Romans chapter 5, beginning in uh, Romans 5, 17, it says, For if, because of one man's trespass... Now, That's Adam in the book of Genesis, okay? Remember, in the last session, he chose the way of the fruit, or he chose his own will. It says that death reigned through that one man. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. For as by the one man's disobedience, that's referring back to Adam again, it says the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, now that's referring to Jesus, it says the many will be made righteous. Now, did you guys get that? That is one of the great statements in all of Scripture to a lost world. Through one man, Adam, sin entered the world. But through another man, Jesus, righteousness entered the world. One man's example is worth rejecting. Another man's example, Jesus is worth following. Jesus came to earth to redeem all things, including masculinity. Jesus also came to perfectly fulfill those specific responsibilities given to the first Adam, who just blew them off and failed miserably. Hey, by the third chapter of Genesis, Adam had failed in all three areas. He hadn't obeyed God's will. He hadn't pursued the work God had for him. And He hadn't protected the woman God gave him. But what did Jesus do while he was here on earth in his 33 years that he lived? Well, he perfectly fulfilled the will that God gave to him in all three areas of responsibility. He followed God's will, not his own. Even when he was tempted by Satan, just like Adam was. He completely accomplished the work that God had for him by offering his own life for the sake of others. And Jesus loved his bride, the church, even to the point of death. Scripture paints a clear contrast between the first Adam of Genesis and the second Adam, Jesus Christ. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 45, explains it this way. It says, uh, Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. 
The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. Comparing and contrasting the first Adam with the second Adam is very helpful for us in figuring out authentic biblical manhood. What Paul's doing when he compares um, Jesus and Adam is he's basically saying Adam failed. But what Adam was created to do, he, he failed in. Um, and, and so Jesus now being the second Adam passed all the tests that Adam failed. And, and so Jesus then is our righteousness. And so you even get a little picture here of God gives Adam the, the, the first basic law. Uh, eat of any tree you want, leave this one alone. So you got your first semblance of don't do this. Uh, all right. And Adam, as simple as that, I mean, not even the Ten Commandments, all right, which they hung on the wall when I was in kindergarten. So, so you're not talking complex ethics here, right? Don't touch that tree. That, that's not hard. Um, I mean, it's, it's really not hard, not, not complex. There's not a lot of debate about it. Leave that tree alone, uh, okay? And, and he fails. And so early on, you're already beginning to see in Adam and in Eve that the law isn't gonna be what saves us. And so Adam's leadership in regards to keeping the law, even at that point, all right, uh, which was minuscule, uh, you see the failure of Adam to be able to do that. But the second Adam in Jesus Christ, he's able to accomplish all that Adam wasn't. If we, if we walk through the book of Romans, or had time to walk through the book of, book of Romans, you, you're gonna run into this fact that through Adam, death entered into the world and, and sin entered into the world and death because of sin. And so all have been condemned to die because of the sin of Adam. So when the Bible references the first Adam, they're referencing this reality that sin has entered into the world and fractured the world and we're all gonna die because of it, okay? Then when Paul starts talking about the second Adam, he's talking about God making all things new in Christ. So as the first Adam was God's creative order, the second Adam is God in Christ renewing that broken order so that all of us might be saved and redeemed for those who have been called according to his purposes if we stay in the book of, of Romans. When you understand grace and you understand the gospel, you're gonna perpetually be running to God in your failures because even your failures produce worship because you remember that God has loved you and has extended grace to you. And what happens is you run to God and not from God to clean yourself up. I think what you see in Jesus Christ is what we can all be in submission to God in Christ with the Holy Spirit living in us. Now, once again, the reason he's the second Adam is because we're gonna need his righteousness because regardless of what the Bible says about manhood, I'm gonna fall short. And, and anybody who watches this and anybody who strives to be all that God would have him want to be as a man, is gonna fall short of that. And so where we lean and our hope is put on Jesus's righteousness being imputed to us, being given to us as he took on the wrath, do our failures as men on himself in the cross. And so it, to be a man, man, you've gotta have deep roots in the gospel. Otherwise, you're going to constantly be running from God and not running to him because you don't understand that he already paid your debt. Very few things in life can be synthesized as simply as this following truth. Listen, every man in this room will walk in the shadow of one of these two men. Your life will either be marked by the darkness of the first Adam or the light of the second Adam, Jesus. In the last session, we introduced you to what it means to live like the first Adam. Uh, we learned that guys who follow Adam become childish consumers or they become cowards and critics. Guys who follow the way of the fruit are just trying to satisfy their senses. They're looking for temporary pleasure. 
They define themselves by what they consume rather than what they produce. They're takers, not givers. The way of the fig leaves, that's marked by self-righteousness and legalistic rules. These guys often define themselves by what they don't do. They're always criticizing others, but they never get in the game themselves. Let's call what the first Adam chose, let's call that conventional manhood. Conventional manhood. It's a manhood that has a selfish perspective. Conventional manhood takes life out of others. It represents a manhood that has no transcendent meaning. It's a guy not living for eternity. He's only living for himself. It's a manhood that is based on personal instinct, human reason or human reaction. When he disobeyed God by eating the fruit, and then he tried to provide for himself with fig leaves, Adam thought he'd figured it out. Conventional manhood shouts in all situations, I got this. I'm a smart guy. I've got it figured out. Adam set his, his course based on his own human reason. His manhood was self-made. It was self-willed and self-centered in the end. But thankfully, we don't have to follow the first Adam's example. God has given us the model of authentic manhood in Jesus. And it's in his life that we find the answer to the question, what does it mean to be a man? Hey guys, we need a clear and compelling definition of authentic manhood. Every man needs a benchmark to hit or a trajectory to follow. And we want to offer you a vision of manhood that you can pursue from this day forward. It's also a path that you can call other men to follow. Uh, we can tell our daughters what to specifically look for in a man. And we can offer our sons or the boys we mentor a vision worth pursuing. And to get to that vision and to extract our definition, we need to look a little closer at the contrast between Adam and Jesus. And when you press them together, four defining components emerge. These components will make up our definition of manhood. Here's the first component. Reject passivity. The first Adam fell into passivity. But the second Adam, Jesus, rejected passivity. The first Adam, in the moment of his fall, just reeked of cowardice. In Genesis 3, in the moment when the servant tempted Eve, you might find yourself asking the question, well, where's Adam? In your head, maybe you, you've kind of put Adam somewhere else in the garden. Maybe he's building something or hunting for animals or preparing the grill. Uh, we want to believe that if Adam had been there, he wouldn't have allowed the snake to tempt his wife. <laughs> he would have leaped out of the bushes and chopped off its head. But I want you to take a look at what really happened. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, it says this. It says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit, and she ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Now, did you guys catch that? So where was Adam? He was with her. In other words, Adam is standing there silently while his wife is tempted. He just went flat. He does nothing. He was passive. In a moment when he could have stepped into noble masculinity, he's just 
standing there. And you know what? Men have been living in Adam's shadow ever since. We see it happening all across the globe. Rather than being involved in the way they should be with their children, men are just standing there. There's injustice and racism and poverty. And what are we doing? We're just standing there. We have churches longing to to fulfill their redemptive purpose. But you know what the men are doing? They're just standing there. Why is it that so many men are so decisive and focused and so effective in areas of life that don't really matter, but they're tentative and uninspiring, they're lazy and passive in the areas that matter the most? Well, it's because that they're living in the shadow of the first Adam. But we, we must follow the example of the second Adam. Jesus rejected passivity. You see more real manhood in Jesus in the manger than you do in Adam in the garden. In the garden, Adam looks like a man, but he responds like a little boy. Yet in that manger, Jesus looks like a little boy, but he is in fact demonstrating the essence of noble masculinity. By becoming human, Jesus took the initiative for the benefit of others. He embraced humility and self-sacrifice to deal with the problem of our sin. I want you to listen to how Jesus is described in Philippians in chapter 2. Beginning in verse 5, it says this, it says, Jesus who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You see, the first Adam was just standing there. But the second Adam, Jesus, He did something. He acted. He initiated. He rejected passivity. Authentic manhood rejects passivity. Now that's the first component of our manhood definition. The second one is this. Accept responsibility. We saw in the garden how the first man fell short in the three specific responsibilities that he was given. But the second Adam, Jesus Christ, fully accepted those same responsibilities. Do you guys remember what they were? The first one was a will to obey. Adam passed on the will of God. Uh, He believed that God must have been holding out on them, so he went in search of something better for himself and his wife, the fruit. But the second Adam obeyed the will of God. Here's just one example. In John 4, 34, Jesus says this. He says, My food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to accomplish His work. In other words, He's saying that's the desire of my heart. I delight to do God's will. That is food for my soul. Authentic manhood accepts the responsibility to obey the will greater than itself. Jesus also accepted a work to do. In John 17, 4, He says this, and he's speaking to God here. He says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. What an awesome thing to be able to say, God, I have done what it is that you intended and created me to do. And finally, Jesus, just like Adam, 
had a woman to love. Now, you're probably saying, well, I didn't know Jesus was married. Well, there hasn't been some new discovery here. He wasn't. But then again, he was because you see his bride is the church. And that's why in, in Ephesians 5, 25, it says this. It says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So how did Jesus love his bride? Well, he sacrificed his own life for her sake. An authentic man understands that he is called to love and care for his wife, not to use or abuse her. He's called to lay down his life for her if necessary, but not just physically, but to die to himself and his own needs for the sake of hers. An authentic man gives, gives himself willingly to that responsibility. And in so doing, well, he moves out of the shadow of the first Adam toward the light of the second Adam, Jesus Christ. Now, here's what we've said so far. The first Adam gave in to passivity. He stood beside Eve with his manhood pants down when he, he could have stepped up and led both of them to follow God's will, not their own. The second Adam, Jesus, rejected passivity by following God's will, even when it meant giving up his life on earth. The first Adam shunned his responsibilities. The second Adam accepted responsibility. Those first two components make up half of our definition of authentic manhood. Now, here's the third defining component. Lead courageously. Lead courageously. The first Adam abandoned his post of leadership, while the second Adam chose to lead courageously. You see, men were created to lead, and Jesus led where Adam didn't. Jesus led in many different ways. Let me, let me give you just a few examples. First of all, Jesus provided direction for others. Jesus told his disciples, follow me. His example was clear and compelling. It was something they wanted to follow. We need to be able to, to tell others, follow me as I follow Jesus. Now, men, that's not arrogance. That's confidence. We need to lead by example so our wives, our children, and those around us can see a clear path to follow. That is leading courageously. Jesus also led by providing protection for others. He said, I'm the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Uh, Jesus is a protector, actively seeking to keep others from harm and guiding them towards noble pursuits. Jesus also led by providing life for others. As, as we saw in 1 Corinthians 15, 45, uh, Jesus is described as a life-giving spirit. I want to read that verse again. It says this. It says, Adam became a living being. But the last Adam, Jesus, became a life-giving spirit. The consistent picture that we get of Jesus Christ in the New Testament is that there is always a life-giving energy flowing out of Him. He, he was always others-centered. In John 10.10, 10, He says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. The life He came to give is evident in us when we follow His example and we lead courageously. There's one more glaring difference between Adam and Jesus that we want you to see. And it gives us the final component of our definition of authentic manhood. Here it is. Authentic men invest eternally. The first Adam invested in the temporary, choosing what would satisfy him in the moment. He chose the fruit. 
But the second Adam, Jesus, chose to invest eternally. Jesus was in the moment, but he was always looking beyond the moment. He had an eternal perspective. He lived it and he taught it. In Matthew 6, 19, listen to what he says. He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. While on this earth, Jesus was not focused on building earthly riches or climbing the corporate ladder. He was busy serving others, sharing truth, and leading other men to change the world. When our days on earth are over and we stand before God, it won't matter how successful we were in the world's eyes, how famous we became, or how many people we've impressed. Now, all all that will matter is the, the degree to which you have followed Jesus and His example by investing in things of eternal significance. Things like loving your wife, raising your children well, serving and loving others, and standing up for those who are weak and oppressed. That's what it means to invest eternally. Now, look back over the four components. A real man is one who rejects passivity. He stops just standing there. He's one who accepts responsibility for God's will, for God's work, and for the family God has entrusted to him. He's one who leads courageously. He becomes a life giver who takes the initiative and he embraces self-sacrifice for the benefit of others. And the whole time he's doing these things, he does them with his eye on eternity. He's storing up real treasure where moths, rust, and thieves can't touch them. So men, here's our definition for authentic manhood. Reject passivity. Accept responsibility lead courageously, and invest eternally. That is a manhood worth living for, a manhood worth fighting for. And any man who embraces this vision has taken a quantum leap towards authentic manhood. He has a clear vision that will help shape his journey as a man. Now, don't forget what we learned last session. It's hopeless to try and live this out without the life-giving Spirit of Jesus fueling your journey. You cannot do this apart from Him. But starting today, we want you to view life through this grid. Is your masculine operating system, is it, is it that of the first Adam and living in His shadow, or that of the second Adam and following His light? Where do you need to reject passivity? In what areas do you need to accept responsibility? Are you leading courageously? Are you investing eternally? Let's go to war against passivity. Let's declare the areas of life that are worth fighting for. Life is a series of moments We are living them out one after another. The question is, what will you do with these moments? I can wait until conditions are perfect to start my journey. 
until I get the job I want? Until I clean up my act? I can let fear of failure keep me right where I am. Other people's opinions, my own doubts and shortcomings, overwhelming odds. I can settle for less, comfort over challenge, predictability over risk. The appearance of success over real fulfillment. Or I can live a life that matters. I can trust God for the impossible and accept the responsibility I've been given. Seizing every moment from beginning to the end. A life of significance is born in the actions of a single moment. God, you have given me these moments. Help me make these moments count. There's a big difference in living life with and without a definition of manhood. I mean, without a definition, you're just reacting to life. You know, you're just kind of wandering. Uh, it's kind of like your first session. You're just kind of drifting. Mm -hmm. And uh, we need a clear definition. And we need to make some bold choices with that definition in hand. And what it's going to do is going to make a difference in every area. Of yeah, our life. I agree. I, I think one of the kind of the big themes of this whole 33 series is to fight for what matters most. And mm -hmm. what this definition makes me want to do is do just that. You know, how do I press that into my life in such a way that I'm really am fighting for what matters most? It gives clarity to your life. It gives clarity because now you have these four aspects of life that you're focused on. You're, you're rejecting passivity. You're accepting responsibility. You're leading courageously. You're investing internally. You've got a clear work, a clear fight that you're yep. going for, but you can't fight alone. Whenever you fight alone, you always lose. You, you miss out on the fellowship, the relationships, the accountability, the support that happens. So we got to have the guys that are willing to connect and do it together. Yeah. And if that's exactly why we talk about manhood being a team sport. I mean, life is a team sport. And so it's so crucial that we as men have other men that are really helping us kind of live out these mandates and, and live out things like this definition. And that's why in our training guide, we ask every guy to write down some specific strategic moves right. and then invite other men to kind of really help him work those into his life and work them out. Yeah. I need another man to keep me honest. You do. Yeah. And yeah, so what's do. my strategy? strategic move going to be, right? you know, and how am I going to implement that in my life? Right. What action plan am I going to have to yeah. make this real? Yeah. yeah. When you're doing that thing, life gets real transformational when you're really pressing that information, personalizing it, and then trying to live it out with other guys helping you do that. I'm excited as well about our next session when we start getting into four faces of manhood. Right, right. Halfway there, but uh, the next section is going to be great. Yeah, there we go. Truly, God is good and he's good and great and greatly to be praised. Truly, we are 
we're in a place where we have to change. Um, and the quest for authentic manhood is, is, is a place where we can get started and we can go grow together and really, um, put some applicable things, um, in place in our lives that will ensure that we are going in the right direction, that God is pleased with our lives and that we're not only affecting our lives, but our, our families' lives, our, our children, our community, um, our neighborhoods and our world. And so we're excited about it. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, let's get growing, man. This is just Antoine. I'll see you at the top. Bye for now.